0: You may have noticed today's title, Being a Partaker of Afflictions. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, chapter number 1, verse 5 to 8. 2 Timothy, chapter number number 1, verse 5 to 8. And if you're, well, you are at home, but... uh, Please follow along as I read it from verse 5 to verse 8 here. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee, by the putting on of my hands." For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, to give a perspective of what is being mentioned right now, Paul's close to the end of his life. This was perhaps his last letter he ever wrote. And he felt the need to give his parting words to Timothy. And you may even have noticed that he, he talks to Timothy as his beloved son. Now, these are the parting words of Paul as he was in prison, getting ready to be executed under the orders of the emperor Nero. Timothy, he was in Ephesus. Paul was in Rome. Now, by this time, it was believed that the burning, the burning inferno that had taken place in Rome back in 64 AD, uh, Nero found that burning of Rome to be the perfect excuse to put Christians to death. By this time, he believed that the Christians could be treated as the scapegoats to what had happened in Rome. And the sooner, this is how the Romans thought, the sooner we get rid of the Christians, the sooner we'll have less and less problems. Now, this could be the reason why many of Paul's disciples near the end of this book seem to be vanishing more and more. They seem to be diminishing. These people that Paul had lovingly helped bring up to the Lord and people who had made professions of faith All of a sudden now, they are starting to diminish. This could be why. And of course, we also hear of the few like Demas and Alexander. Demas and Alexander, I believe they they just left Paul out of their sheer lust. It wasn't just persecution. Their sheer lust for material gain. But Paul knew that this would take place. I think throughout this whole letter, Paul knew that this would take place, that the Christians would be blamed for what was going on. And through national persecution, some were still strengthened while others were scared. Men like Mark, you see at the end, became profitable to Paul. So persecution ought not be new to Christians Persecution ought not to be Christians, uh, not uh, ought not to be new to Christians because even more and more today, we're seeing more and more persecution that is being targeted specific to specifically towards Christians. Some of these attacks have even had effects and have festered in people's minds long for a long time, even in their subconscious since they were a child. And perhaps you are affected by it as well. You may not know it, but I'm about to talk about it. Afflictions play a giant role, though, in a Christian's life. They should not be ignored. In fact, the push that Paul was trying to give to Timothy was to welcome afflictions. And I want to present this to you as well. Why should you welcome afflictions? I promise to answer that at the end of this. But Paul's admonition to Timothy was to be ready to get persecuted. Timothy, this will come to pass. Timothy, be ready to give your life. Timothy, be ready to be hated. Be ready to partake in afflictions. Now, my question to you tonight is, are you a partaker of afflictions? And is it important to be a partaker of these afflictions? But before we answer these questions, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today, for, the, for tonight. Everyone that is watching over the Internet, uh, we can see all their comments and they are watching attentively. And I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you that uh, they could have done anything else, but they chose to do your will, Lord. And I pray that you would bless them for that i pray father that uh, this this sermon this message would not be diminished over the airwaves that uh, you would have your way and that you would uh, speak to people's hearts and speak through me lord as well i pray and thank you lord for all these things i pray this in jesus name amen so let's look at what it takes first to get afflicted what does it take to get afflicted if it's so important why should we get afflicted so Number one, the first thing you need in order to get afflicted is proper wisdom. Proper wisdom. Timothy was taught to seek after godly wisdom. Okay? Uh, if you are in uh 2 uh, Timothy chapter 1, as I said, try to put a bookmark there because we're gonna come back go back and forth around the Bible today. So, verse 5, it says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois. And thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now it's also alluded later on in Second Timothy chapter number three, verse fourteen and fifteen. So you can just turn there. Usually it's just one page, so turn one page to the right. Right? So Second Timothy chapter number three, verse fourteen and fifteen, it says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. If you've been attending our Wednesday services, especially just this last Wednesday, Pastor White started an introduction into wisdom. What is wisdom? And he specifically introduced two types of wisdom as well in that introduction. There's two kinds of wisdom today, and Christian. Don't be fooled by this other kind of wisdom. There's the worldly wisdom, and then there's the godly wisdom. So, all around the world today, you can see the number of people that have been drawn by this false gospel of seeking worldly wisdom. That education is somehow the key to success. That is not what the scriptures say. The key to success is found in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And please turn there with me. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Perhaps some of you know that by memory. But it's a very important verse. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The one time that God ever talks about success is found in this verse. And where is it linked to? It's linked to the Bible, the scriptures. The scriptures is your key to success. Anything held onto outside of the Bible, anything outside of the Bible is the key success to your failure, not your success. As a Christian, your success is linked to the scriptures. The reason why schools and education even exist today is because Christians had once strived to educate people and ultimately they wanted to honor God. If you look throughout history, especially after the Reformation, Before that time, education was only something that was available to wealthy people or to the people of royalty. But men and women who were burdened to reach the lost were the ones who went to educate people that didn't have access to education. Why did they want to bring education? So that people can read their Bibles. That's the main reason. Missionaries were the ones who started Sunday schools all around the world. You look at the history of Canada. You look at the history of Sri Lanka. You look at the history of the Philippines. It was missionaries who wanted people to read their Bibles, the reason why education ever existed. The key to success back then was understood that if you will search the scriptures, you will be successful. But today, the secular world has come in and crept in. They have taken the Sunday, Sunday part out of the Sunday school And they've only kept the school. They've introduced philosophies and psychology to try and say that, oh, we don't need God anymore. You can just have success through education. Now, all of a sudden, prayer and Bible study is taken out of of the school system. You can imagine this. Maybe even 50 years ago, you can imagine this. First block was history class. Second block was geography class. Third block, prayer and Bible study fourth block, English, fifth block, mathematics. You imagine, that would be so cool to have third block prayer and Bible study in your classroom every every single day. But that's not the case. Education has changed. The secular world has now gone into this area where they're saying that Sunday school is not needed anymore. Populations grow more and more secular. And they begin and say that school is now synonymous with secularized education. Today, school and education is synonymous with secularized philosophies. Sure, they will say that they are tolerant to every religion. But dare you ever bring up God and all of a sudden you will start seeing afflictions. The moment you say, I'm going to start a Bible club, you're going to get afflicted. The moment you bow down and start praying just before you're about to start uh, taking a meal at your workplace or even wherever you're going to school, you'll have dirty looks. Now, that's not much of a persecution in North America, but it gets worse if you live in countries like India or Pakistan. Ladies and gentlemen, the world and the devil have weaponized this concept called education. Education is becoming something that is worldly wisdom alone. There is no godly wisdom at all in that. Many good people have been brought up to believe that education is this harmless tool that will make them successful. But today, it has helped propagate man's gospel alone And Christ's gospel is nowhere near. Success is not measured in a Christian's life by how much money you earn. It's not measured by how many people like you. It's not measured by how good or how altruistic or philanthropic you are. It's measured by how close and how much you stick to the scriptures Don't buy in to worldly wisdom. These are, it's the men and women who have stuck to the scriptures who have gotten afflicted, who have gone off, who have gone after godly wisdom. Christians who who have believed God's word with all their heart are the ones that get afflicted. These are the ones that seek after godly wisdom. You can almost say that if you are successful in God's eyes, you are most likely being afflicted. So let me ask you, Christian, do you feel afflicted for the wisdom you hold to today? Or the wisdom that you are pursuing? If you don't, is it possible that you have bought into the wrong wisdom? Have you bought into godly wisdom or have you bought into worldly wisdom? Do you feel afflicted for seeking after God's will and for holding that the Bible and only what God says will be your source of guidance or is it what do what will people think and what will people say if i did this or did that what guides you what wisdom are you pursuing now let's go back to second timothy chapter number 1 back to 2 Timothy chapter number 1 where we left off from and let's look at verse 6 the next verse wherefore i put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of god which is in thee by the putting on of my hands now the second the first one was pursuing godly wisdom the right wisdom and the second The first was godly wisdom. The second one is stirring up a gift. Paul continues on in remembrance that Timothy had a gift that needed to be stirred up. A gift that needed to be stirred up. In 1 Timothy 4.14, we don't have to turn there, but we're told that this gift was given to Timothy when he entered the ministry. And I'm suspecting, this is me personally, I am suspecting that this gift was the gift of prophecy. Or the fact that Timothy was a great preacher. That Timothy had to have been a gifted preacher to survive specifically in Ephesus. That's where Timothy was. That's where he was ministering. Not that God can't use anyone, but it just makes sense. So this applies also to us. We have been given gifts of God that need to be stirred up. A Christian who is stirring up the gifts that God had placed in them will also get afflicted. Every one of us had been given a gift that is meant to edify the people in the local church. This gift was given to you supernaturally when you had gotten saved. These are sometimes referred to as spiritual gifts. Let's take a look in Romans chapter 12, verse 4. You can turn there. Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, uh, sorry, from uh, ch- verse 4 to verse 8, it gives us a list. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members of one another. There is also a condition that's given many members in one body. You can see it there in verse six, excuse me, in verse uh, four, for as we have many members in one body, the gifts are given to edify the church of which you are a member of. You are not going to get afflicted if you aren't stirring up these gifts If you aren't using these gifts, you're not going to get afflicted. If you aren't using these gifts that God had given you to strengthen and to be used of God in the church, there will not be any affliction. Now, this was more of a brief point, but let's move on to the third point. The sound mind. Sound mind. And let's go back to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul follows up to Timothy with a reason to why the abilities and gifts that Timothy had been given needed to be stirred up. So now he's giving the reason. This is why you need to stir up that gift that you have. Because God has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Usually we read through these verses and we see the power and we see the love. Oh, it's a sound mind. Now quickly, I just want to go over those three. If you know the power of God is upon you, you'll see it in your prayers and your, wit- and your witness. If you are allowing, loving towards those around you, you can see the love. But what about the sound mind? We usually know power to be understood as the ability and authority. Christians who are afflicted have the power of God on them. The ones who are afflicted are the ones that are the loving, the kind-hearted, the joyful, the caring, the honest with their neighbors, and such. But we often take for granted this concept of having a sound mind. Do you know the reason why some Christians skip their devos They are not of a sound mind. Because a sound mind understands that the time spent with God is where the power to go through the day comes from. Here's another question. Do you know the reason why some Christians make bad decisions? Probably see where I'm going with this. They don't have a sound mind. They have bought into a lie of the devil, and now their vision, or their mindset, or their perspective on what they're looking at has been altered into a view where compromise does not seem as bad. You see, we often know Romans 12, 1 and 2, but Romans twelve two mentions something very specific about having this sound mind, or the mind at least, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? So what this is saying is when you give your life as a living sacrifice to God every morning, every day, what's happening is that you're not subject to the world anymore. You're subject to God. You're being an instrument to God. You're giving your life as an instrument so that God can use you in this world as opposed to the world using you in this world. You know why some Christians don't look like Christians? And you probably guessed it. It's because they don't have a sound mind. So you see, the sound mind concept is usually accompanied by one of its ugly opposites, drunkenness. Ephesians 5, verse 18. You can turn there. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Here's what it says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When we are not in the Spirit, we are different. We are no different from the unbeliever. Unbelievers are what make up this world. And we are no different when we are drunk. And they cannot partake in the afflictions of the gospel. So, we're going to conclude this matter now. Why should you choose to partake in the afflictions of the gospel? Afflictions. Why afflictions? And I've already alluded to this, but I'm going to give you two reasons. The first reason is this is where the power of God lies. Afflictions are what we have been called unto. As a Christian, you have been called to bear your cross and follow Christ. And don't be ashamed of what Christ had given you. Wear it proudly as a badge of honor. We live in times where they will shame you for being a Christian. And let it be. Let your light still shine. In Luke 9, 26, this is a warning given from Christ. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. I have heard of stories of Christians who would never bow their heads in public to thank God for their food. Why is that? I've heard of Christians unwilling to share the gospel, unwilling to go flyering, unwilling to come out for soul winning for their whole life. Why is that? I've heard of Christians unable to make it to church services even once a week on time, but they would make every single work day even with much time ahead of their shift. Why? Christians who act this way seem to be ashamed of their savior, unwilling to put aside their comforts for the sake of Christ's. And they cannot get power because they're not willing to put up with the afflictions. Forget having prayers answered because if you can't even do what God had already asked you to do, why should he give you anything? He's under no obligation. Afflictions is where God's power lies because he has promised us to be with us. Paul understood this and here's what he had to say. My grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses of, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Afflictions strengthen us. Afflictions give us the power of God. And number two, afflictions strengthen us. Be a partaker of afflictions because this will strengthen you. And this is my last story here. We are a lot like glass. Let me, let me uh, flesh that out a little. When glass is first made, it's silicate and lime and some other materials. These ingredients, they're heated up to thousands and thousands of degrees. And what they do is they pour it onto a pool of molten tin. Because tin and glass do not mix together, all the glass does is starts floating onto the top of the molten tin pool. This molten tin pool, allows the glass to be smooth and lets it uh, flatten out as much as it can. As it goes down the conveyor, at the other end it's cooled down in sheets. And these sheets, what they do is they cut it up and they send it off to other companies. Perhaps you know of a company. And then this company would make the necessary changes. These necessary changes are according to what the client needs. Holes or it needs to be cut up into an even smaller sheet. After this, it's put onto another conveyor. It's sent down a furnace. This furnace heats up to close to about 700 degrees Celsius, or hundreds and hundreds of degrees. What it ends up doing is, well, first, the glass, it has to expand because of the heat. But then, as soon as it's out of the furnace, it goes and it gets cooled down right away. That cooling down effect allows the glass to st- to store in all this energy. This is why when tempered glass is shattered, it's so violent because all that energy that it has taken in is being released. But nevertheless, that glass is now four times stronger once it's down out of that furnace. But the biggest reason of all why they ask for strong glass is so that people can see through it. You and I are like glass because people still need to see Christ through us. Your afflictions strengthen you. And yes, you are fragile and brittle like glass. And honestly, we humans are very brittle. If you think about it, COVID is this tiny microscopic little virus, and it took down the whole world. We are brittle. But... Afflictions temper us. They make us more powerful so we may be used of God. Christians, be ready for 2021. This year will not be the same as it used to be. It will not be the same as the other years. The times are changing. They're going to be harder and harder because you're a Christian. But... Rejoice in these afflictions because they're strengthening you and they allow you to have power with God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You will be given more and more reasons to stop walking the way you ought to. But don't, because these afflictions will make you only better.